Welcome to this episode of Women to Women podcast series. Our guest today is Amy Hemans. Amy believes that purpose-driven design can help improve the human condition and therefore co-founded MadPow. Her organization now is focused on evolving health and finance systems to form experience strategies that deliver both social impact and business results. She applies her expertise in improving experiences as a strategy consultant, leadership advisor, speaker, writer, teacher, and facilitator. Hi, Amy. Welcome to the Women to Women podcast show. Hi there. I'm so happy to be here. You are a fellow podcaster. So how is it being on the other side? I think it's great because I don't have the stress of like making sure we're keeping time and being all, you know, prepared. I can just be myself, which is, which is helpful. <laughs> so let's get started with your childhood. Where did you grow up and what was it like? Oh, wonderful. So I grew up in Burlington, Massachusetts, which is a suburb of Boston. So 30 minutes outside of the city uh, with two parents who I was blessed to have uh, my father, was an engineer. My mother was a nurse. Uh, so my father sort of was very logical and analytical. And my mother um, was always caring for others and in service to others. And so uh, they instilled those values in me. And actually, it, it shaped me and, and it, um, affected the direction that I ended up taking, you know, my career and my life. Uh, but they gave me a happy uh, childhood. Uh, you know, we would have pancakes on Saturdays. We would garden in the garden and raise our own vegetables. We had a camper. We would go camping and see this great country and all of the nature. And, and it really gave me an appreciation for our environment and the world we live in. But they were just very loving. It was a good childhood. I have two brothers and a sister who are all older. So I all, you know, looked up to them. Uh, for better or for worse, to <laughs> help me figure out how to navigate the world. So by the time you came to high school, did you kind of have some idea on what you wanted to be in life or what you wanted to pursue? Yeah, absolutely. So I loved art. And in high school, our art program in at Burlington High School was phenomenal. It was led by actually a husband and a wife, Lorraine Sullivan and Mr. Young. And they taught, I mean, I took computer graphics. I took um, graphic design. I took painting, sculpture. Uh, so basically my senior year of high school was all arts. And that was wonderful because I, I knew I wanted to focus in art. I used that to build a portfolio and then apply to art school. Uh, so I went to University of Hartford Art School uh, for two years. And that was also a wonderful experience. Many great professors. Hartford Art School is a sort of a well-kept secret. It's nestled in University of Hartford. Uh, but is so you could get the university experience, but also the best arts education. After two years, though, there I left and I started a family. I was young; I was uh, nineteen or twenty years old, and uh, ended up uh, having a child, getting married, and joining the job force as a web designer. So I took my graphic design training at Hartford Art School and became uh, a web designer right at the right time. I mean, it was the dot-com boom and web designers were well needed at that, at that time. So was it challenging you being so young and having a young family and trying to establish yourself as a professional? What were some of the challenges and how did you overcome those? Oh yeah, it, it was tremendous. So I had um, basically two young children by the time I was 22 and I was working full time 
as a web designer and uh, working at an agency. It was a very fast paced environment. You know, I felt fortunate because I didn't have a, a college degree, but I had a great portfolio and I had the desire to make amazing things happen and to provide for my family. I worked very hard, but it it was heartbreaking for me to leave my babies and take care. And, you know, every working mo- mother knows, you know, how you want to stay with them, but you know, you have to go. And it was difficult to balance it all. I mean, I, I felt like I was either failing as a mother or failing on the job. It, it seemed feel like I could do both extremely well. And that's where I had to let go of my desire for perfectionism a bit and and just focus on the important things, the important moments and make time and make room for for those moments. That's what guided me through that time. And during this time, uh, did you have support systems established? Yeah. So, you know, when I when I was first starting out with the young family, I actually uh, lived with my father-in-law for four years. And, and so there was, that was wonderful because we had babysitting and, and we could collaborate around the food and the shopping and all of the things. And my parents also would babysit and, and offer emotional support and encouragement, my sister as well. And so that was great. My my husband and I, at that time, we, we ended up moving to New Hampshire and buying our own home. That was around the time that I started MadPow. That was a company I founded with my business partner in 2001. And we were just starting up, beginning the entrepreneurial journey. And it was very intense. I also had my third child around that time. And, you know, when we moved to New Hampshire, our family, they were still involved in our lives, you know, still supportive and encouraging, but we were remote. We were more remote. And so it became more difficult to manage for sure. And my um, my now ex-husband, uh, but my husband at the time, he he was supportive of starting up the business. And that was that was great. But then, you know, as I became more and more successful with the business, he became more and more dissatisfied with sort of where he was in, in his life. You know, he had challenges uh, for sure. And our, our relationship had challenges. So it, it was a challenging time. And I felt uh, very alone feeling the weight of providing for my family uh, with, you know, having a, a deteriorating situation in, in terms of the relationship, you know, as I was growing my business, we were becoming extremely successful. We were hiring people, we were servicing clients, we were becoming renowned. And I went from worrying if I'd ever be able to afford a house to doing really well in terms of a living. But when my personal life was, you know, falling apart and adding a lot of stress and trauma, the business was taking off. So it was like, professionally, I was doing amazing, but personally, it was very challenging. And and that went on for probably 10 or 12 years uh, before, you know, things came to a head and I decided to make a change. Uh, We got divorced. I was alone for many years and then uh, was very lucky and blessed to find my now husband. And we just... Uh, celebrated our three-year anniversary. So it was definitely a a challenging time. And honestly, looking back, I don't know how I sort of held it together. (laughs) Congratulations, by the way, on your anniversary. Thank you. So what inspired you to start this design agency, Badbao? I was working at an agency during the dot-com boom. And that's where I got my start. And I took the graphic design 
that I had learned in, in college, I ported it into web design. I learned how to code and I started to get into user experience. Um, so I, I came to understand that it isn't just about how a website looks. It's about how does it function for the people who are using it? Are they finding it intuitive? Are they understanding the information? And so at the agency I was working at, I founded the user experience practice and really started learning more and more about that. And I worked at that agency for four years during the dot-com bubble. When the bubble burst, I started freelancing and, and founded my, my agency with a business partner. And sort of how we both started out was freelancing. So I was trying to you know, pay the bills, having a, a few clients and uh, he was doing the same. And then uh, I came across a wonderful lead for a project that was bigger than I could handle. I was pregnant with my third child, um, you know, about to go into labor and that sort of thing. <laughs> And um, I, I said, you know what, they're not going to hire this woman about to go into labor. Let's, let's partner up on this and we can do it together. And we pitched the client and we won that project and we did it together. And it went really well. We had my business partner, myself, very complimentary skills. So we made a good team. So we kept doing more and more projects and we hired our first employee in 2006. We grew to 70 people across two offices, um, one in Portsmouth, one in Boston. Then we were acquired in 2019. It was an amazing entrepreneurial journey. I mean, when all was said and done, it was, you know, 18 years to acquisition and then and then two years post-acquisition, adding COVID on top of that. It's been an interesting time. And now I'm actually winding down my time at MadPow and I'm getting ready for my next adventure. That's very exciting. It is. It's scary and exciting all at the same time. Did you have mentors along the way that really helped you establish this or was it just organic learning on your part? I would say a bit of both. I absolutely had mentors, but I also love to read and learn. So books and podcasts, um, sort of a self-improvement junkie, whether it is uh, on the personal front or the professional front. I love to learn. I have sort of an insatiable curiosity. Um, I always want to find a better way of doing things, but I, I truly was uh, blessed to have the right mentors at the right time. I, I believe that the universe sends you what you need when you need it. And that certainly was true at different parts of my career. One of the very well-known people in the user experience discipline, he, he didn't need to give me advice or help me in terms of how to grow my company, but he did. He took the time to give me that advice. Uh, there was a CIO of a major corporation in Boston, and she was a female CIO. She could hold her own amongst technologists and, and business people. And she, for some reason, wanted to spend time talking with me about the business challenges I was facing and, and what she saw and what she had done. And, and I was so grateful for that. And then just even one conversation here, another conversation there, people give you the sort of bits of wisdom that factor into who you are and, and what you do and how you show up for life, or they sort of shape this change in perspective that you experience over time. I'm so grateful for those, those mentors and those experiences. And I, and I try to do that for others. I think it's huge, of course, to pay it forward when people have been kind, sharing their knowledge and their expertise. Of course, I want to do the same thing. And I do that. 
I talked to a lot of people in transition for their career or students or basically anyone I'll take a meeting with because it isn't just my my commitment to being in service to others. It's also, I get a lot out of it. I, people are brilliant and, and their passion and charisma and tenacity truly inspire me. Um, I love having those conversations. What kind of role do you think networking played in all of this? Like, What's your relationship with networking? It's one of my superpowers, honestly, is <laughs> networking. Every single relationship, I, I want to provide value where I can and and offer my support and, and do right by people, um, clients, contacts, et cetera. And because of that, I, I've been able to establish some wonderful uh, business relationships that even, you know, turned into lifetime friendships. And because of that, you know, if, if anybody's ever looking for uh, a design consultancy, a strategic design consultancy, my, my clients and friends will always recommend MadPal and they'll, they'll think of me. This was pre-pandemic, but the, the concept was never lunch alone. There's a book written on it, never lunch alone. You don't need to read the book. The basic premise is, Never lunch alone. Um, it is a good book, though. But the the thinking is make an effort to connect with people, um, not just in a business context, but to really get to know them as people and to take the time to you know share a cup of coffee or share a lunch and all of this that we're doing, working hard every day with our careers, with our businesses. The best part about it is you know, the people we meet along the way and the experiences that we have. I mean, that's what makes it enjoyable. I mean, you could be doing anything. If you're, if you're doing it with the team that brings you joy, it will just bring so much fulfillment to your life. So I love to connect people. I love to connect with people. <laughs> so uh, it's one of, one of my favorite things. So you mentioned joy. What brings you joy? apart from networking and meeting people. Yeah, I really do um, enjoy talking with people. And the other part of that is, you know, brainstorming and idea generation. You know, there are so many problems to be solved in this world, you know, wicked problems. We could get mired in them um, and we could become very pessimistic. The reason why I love design is because it orients us around a potential solution. What could address this problem? How could we work together? to make things better. And when I'm part of brainstorming activities, idea generation in the direction of making things better, bringing diverse people together to brainstorm and, and solve these problems, that, that makes me really excited. I do think we, we can design a better future. I think we can design solutions to many of the problems that we have. And I know so many good people who are trying. I mean, they're not just, you know, spokes in the, in the wheel of the American economy. They, they are embracing the opportunity to drive change and to make a social impact with the communities that their organizations are affecting, whether it's employees or clients or customers, that's really what makes them passionate. And so when I can work with people like that to come up with a vision for the future, to paint that picture and to get people excited around that, I really enjoy that. So now looking back, if you had a chance to do things again, you know, do things over, <laughs> what would you do differently? Well, it's such a, it's such a good question because I, I value all of the experiences, even the negative ones. Well, the fact is that I learned so much through those challenges and I came to a point where I have peace and I have direction and I have gratitude. You know, maybe if I didn't experience that adver adversity, that I would not have those things. I, I do believe that adversity 
makes us stronger. And I don't know that I'd wish away any of those experiences. If I could do it differently, maybe I would take some business classes. Maybe not though. Um, I think applying the creative mindset to business, not knowing the business lingo is actually useful because it gives you kind of like a fresh perspective. But I think knowing enough about business to communicate with business people to sort of to get ideas funded to, again, build build momentum in the direction of change. I think that's always useful. But I'm adding that in now, you know, I, I continue to uh, learn. I, I'm a teacher in Massachusetts College of Arts. They have a master's program in design and innovation leadership. And I'm teaching courses in corporate social responsibility and designing for sustainability, sustainable business models. And then I'm also taking classes in the University of Houston's uh, Futures Thinking and Speculative Foresight program. I continue to learn. You know, I think just that the biggest kind of continuing area for development and opportunity that maybe I would go back and tell the younger me, it's so simple and it's talked about all the time, but, you know, self-love and acceptance, you know, looking at the stories we tell ourselves, the inner monologue, the narrative, and and sort of how we treat ourselves in our own minds, uh, what we say to ourselves, how do we interpret what goes right, what goes wrong. And, and really, I've been able to do a lot of work on my inner monologue, which, which had been very negative and, and almost abusive, I would say. <laughs> Um, I've done a lot of work on that over the years um, in therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy to really pinpoint those ideas, those perceptions we have of ourselves that don't help us, that don't aid us, flip those into a positive direction, which takes a lot of practice. I tell my younger self to relax and know that you are loved, you have a positive future, you know, you're doing the best that you can, you know, and it's going to be okay. Speaking of perceptions. Have you ever faced typical perceptions that are associated with women? And how have you handled that? You know, we all know it's 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 always a work in progress. As things continue to improve and change, there are still things that need to be addressed and improved. You know, in the past, the women that I experienced in business who were very successful and accepted sort of would take on the mannerisms of men felt that I would see professional attire that wasn't necessarily very feminine, or I would see women lowering the the tone of their voice or sort of behaving, like I said, like, like men behave. So it's almost like you had to, you know, act like a man in order to sort of be successful in a man's world. But as Time went on, I, I started to embrace, you know, the femininity and that which makes me me as not different in a in a negative way, but unique in a very positive way. Uh, I did have male business partners, not just were we different in terms of being male and female, we were different in terms of risk aversion and our orientation in the business. I was growth oriented and wanted to build and grow and try new things. And they were more protective of where the organization was. So it was a great sort of dichotomy because it created a, a positive dialogue and tension between growth and between instability. Uh, so that was our actually quite effective, but I felt sometimes that maybe they viewed me, you know, it, it's sort of the nagging wife role, the bias of, you know, knowing somebody so much, you feel like, you know, what they're going to say. And so you stop really listening because you feel like, you know, them. 
And so I feel like they would tune me out sometimes or just assume that they knew that what I was going to say. And, and I don't know if that's because of the man woman thing, or, you know, if I, I oftentimes thought, you know, would they take me more seriously if I was a man, you know, but I think that could have been just the dynamics of, of partnership. You know, as I mentor women, I definitely talk about not apologizing for their ideas. And this isn't just something that affects women, it affects men too. It's it's sort of a, I guess, a crisis of self-confidence or, or the whole imposter syndrome thing. Feeling like, okay, the, the organization is benefiting from your unique perspective, your ideas, your personality, and to contribute, to put forward your ideas and to do so confidently and without apology. I, I think those things uh, can definitely help. There's definitely been, you know, situations of, you know, sexual harassment too, where you have to sort of know like, okay, you know, I made the rule for myself. I, I don't want to go to dinner alone with a male business colleague. It creates for awkward situations. Might as well just avoid that. I'm fine with, you know, lunch or coffee or something like that, but um, I've had some awkward situations. And so just learn to sort of avoid those situations to begin with. No, great advice. Are there certain behaviors that you see in women often now that you mentor a lot of women as well that you think we should stay away from to get more from our careers, from our lives? Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned the not apologizing for for our ideas. I think that's super important. And then I would say, and this is hard because, you know, there, there are all types of people in business. There are people who don't mind taking a leap into the unknown and there are people who that will make them very nervous. What we know from research on women in business is that uh, men are often promoted for their potential, where women are promoted for their past history. And so to not be shy about making your career goals known and clear, ask for opportunities that lead you in that direction, and to articulate the potential that you do have and to ask for mentoring or growth opportunities in any uh, blind spot areas that you have. And I also believe in, I mean, it's been written about, it's in books and stuff like that, but knowing how people might be biased against women, um, you know, that they might not hire you because they think you're going to have kids and then, you know, quit the job and any investment they made in you would be um, wasted. Or that um, if you advocate for yourself as a woman, it's going to um, be perceived differently than if a man would advocate for himself. So to put those biases on the table and just call them out and say, you know, when women uh, ask for a raise or a promotion, they're often perceived to be pushy. Uh, whereas when a man does it, it's it's not necessarily the same. So I just want to put those common biases on the table so that when I ask you for this promotion, you'll know that I'm doing it because I believe in myself and I believe in this organization and, and you know, and then go from there. So um, basically calling out the elephant in the room. On a separate note, you have a podcast on better experiences, innovation and design. So let's yeah. let's talk a little bit about that. So how did this podcast come about and what is it about? Yeah, I found myself in the course of my job at MadPow. I found myself talking with fantastic clients and prospects and people in the industry. I'm very active in health, in finance, in uh, ESG and sustainability and in social impact. And I'd be having these wonderful conversations with wonderful human beings. And I, I thought, you know what? 
why don't we record these conversations and make them a, a, a podcast? And so we did that. And it's it's been wonderful. I mean, there, as you know, having these types of conversations, there's so many wonderful people with fantastic things to say. And as a matter of fact, I, I've, I've enjoyed it so much. Um, I might, you know, sort of turn that into a book and just continue to talk with folks and, and bring their most salient insights into um, like sort of a book format. It's an idea I have that I, that I might work on, um, you know, after my time ends here at MadPow, in addition to teaching and, and continuing to learn. So all the best for that. We will be looking out for the book. <laughs> Amy, in closing, any final comments for our listeners? When you overlap the concepts of personal development with design, you uncover an interesting territory that we have the potential to design our lives, that any boundaries we've created for ourselves are can be artificial walls keep us trapped to design you know our lives with intention to think about what really brings us joy what are we really passionate about who do we want to be spending more time with where do we want to be living where, what do we want to be doing it's not like we can you know conjure up like a perfect life but at the same time years can pass without asking ourselves these very important questions that can lead to greater fulfillment and satisfaction. So I would say let's let's design our lives in the direction of that which is going to bring us the most fulfillment. And then that will have ripples uh, and, and touch uh, many more lives from there. Thank you so much for all the great experiences you shared and all the great advice. And we wish you all the best in future. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.